welcome to Foot Guns. It's uh, Wasabi and Hal. And today we're talking with Jason Tate of uh, Black Alchemy Solutions Group. And um, we were originally supposed to talk about how you can uh, use InfoSec and privacy technologies to secure all the bags during the bull market. But it is Wednesday, May 11th. Terra has just blown up and I think all of us are now now poor. So I don't know. We're just going to talk about Luna, what's going on, shoot the shit and uh, talk about some uh, some crypto security stuff. Yeah, Jason, I know I, I follow you on uh, Twitter, so I know you are you spend a lot of time talking about NFTs and stuff, but are you are you involved at all in, in the DeFi? Did you have any exposure? I, uh, I luckily, I, you know, percentage-wise, didn't have a lot of exposure to what happened today, but oh my gosh, um, I've never seen anything like it. Like, you know, the, the token went down 95% twice in a row or something like that, two days in a row. Yeah, it's pretty intense. But to answer your question, I am not exposed with what's going on right now. I do, even though I speak a lot about NFTs, we started in crypto back in 2009, 2010, that around that area. So um, that's why it's not really bothering me. This is part of what happens uh, the fluctuations, a lot of new adopters, and I'm not speaking about anybody in particular. I'm just saying there is correction in markets and there is, uh, let's just say there are back channel situations where one company or one group or one DeFi is definitely uh, has a position to leverage uh, whether an exploit, whether it be financial, economic or technical against another. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, I think it's interesting because we get like really, um, you know, hear the word decentralization a lot. And I don't know, before I started, um, you know, actually working on some of these DeFi protocols and stuff, you know, it was it was not really clear from an outsider, like how (laughs) how the centralization is there or the decentralization is there. Right. So I think there's these like sort of moments where everyone gets surprised because they thought, oh, Bitcoin's this thing that, you know, no one can touch. And so DeFi must also be that way. And there must not be any centralization. And then all of a sudden, yeah, these things sort of show up and explode through these. um, Yeah, like you're saying, like sort of back channels. I mean, that's how it works. At the end of the day, when you when we moved into or as the world migrated into the decentralized space, it became a I want to say I'm going to use this 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 term very freely uh, dog eat dog man versus man situation or person versus person situation. You've got entities fighting entities to gain gain a stake or position over another. Uh, One wants notoriety, the other one wants money, you know, and this is all across the board. So what you're seeing today, and this is just my humble opinion, is a byproduct of that. You know, you see BlackRock and I mean, I didn't mean to name drop, but you see companies that are doing some very strategic moves that mimic what you see in the centralized zone. Now it's coming and infecting people who are, and there's a lot of people, and we, I think we all can agree that are just not really well-versed in how this all works, uh, how these projects actually are structured or how these coins are pegged. And, you know, the misconceptions, like to your point about Bitcoin and, you know, what it really does and how it's really valued and how does it create positions for other companies. There's a lot of ignorance out there that creates fear and sometimes hostility, in my opinion. And that's what we're going through. Markets correct and markets do what they do. But when you have agendas, when you think about the core element of any business, you know, the biz- a business is, a, is an entity, but it's also 
uh, an, an existential character, any existential character, any character in life, its first and main motive is to stay alive. So when you're dealing with people or situations or businesses that want to stay alive, you have to expect some level of war and bloodshed. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's not just businesses too. You have a good segment of people in crypto who are taking aim, not just at banks and traditional, you know, trad but actually at governmental systems and the U S dollar itself. So, I mean, it's not surprising that we see, I don't know, just the amount of money that it would take to, to do something like this is, is certainly within the means of large companies, but it's a drop in the bucket for governmental actors too. So I don't know any thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, you're spot on. I didn't, I'm glad I didn't even have to say it. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I do have a strong background in government entities, if you will. Um, do you want to, do you want to, yeah, go into that like a bit? Maybe we, now that we've, uh, now that we've had our, our debriefing from the, uh, the terrors of the day <laughs> or the terrors of the day. I kind of like to like not ask people about their before crypto stuff. Cause I don't think it's usually, I don't know. It's always like the most boring part of the podcast, but like, I'll make an exception in this case. So yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Groovy. Oh, thank you for your latitude, brother. And your flexibility. Hmm. But I don't think there's no there's any way that I can discuss where I am now without uh, where I came from. I mean, in, so you can understand my flow, why I have blood in my throat, so to speak, when I talk about these things. I spent, uh, you know, I joined the Navy when I was 17 uh, in intelligence and uh, technology. Uh, and then I did five years with the Navy and got recruited on my fifth year with a uh, an agency, a three-letter intelligence agency that goes by the name of <laughs> the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Everybody here is about the CIA and FBI and NSA, but there's about 17 of them that many Americans and global citizens are not aware of. Long story short, in a very concise manner, I was, uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, a cyber threat intelligence officer. I tracked down uh, cyber terrorists. I broke into military bases, uh, what more people are commonly known as red teaming. I did that and I developed doctrine on how to uh, penetration tests, uh, track, assess, and uh, create, uh, let's just say, databases of uh, cyber terrorism tactics, techniques, and protocols. And I did that for a long time. I did that for about 15 years with the agency and then uh, with a few other agencies as well that we don't need to mention here. And of course, there were some operational things where it got me uh, more into the field, uh, started to see life from a different perspective, uh, especially when you start to understand that, you know, working in these agencies, you have to think a certain way. You are trained to think a certain way. You are conditioned to think a certain way. And that's a very, uh, it's a very siloed approach at life. So when I left uh, the government, and I did leave because of a situation that I just didn't feel um, was a part of my purpose in life anymore. Uh, There's a, a big situation that took place in Lebanon about, you know, 2012, 13 era. And uh, that's when I recently came to, I had a come to come to awareness meeting with myself and said, hey, listen, if I'm going to die, uh, I, you know, in my 20-year-old mind, if I'm going to die, you know, in my 20-year-old mind, I was like, I'll die for this country. But, you know, in my 30-year-old mind, I started saying, oh, I want to die for myself. And not to make it this conversation morbid, but what it did is it jump-started me into an understanding of what my purpose here in life is. And that's uh, to share the insights, the tactics, the techniques, the insights, the, um, the technical acumen that I learned for those 15, 20 years. And give it to the civilian as a civilian world because 
the, the, the for all intents and purposes, the people that we were fighting when I when I worked for the agencies, they are the creme de la creme. They are the people that the news will never speak about because they don't know how to speak about it. Cyber terrorism, cyber threats, the things that you're starting to see in the Web3 space, this is child's play compared to things that I've seen 10 years ago, seven years ago, a nation state actors that, you know, I'll mention two nations, uh, Russia and China. Those are my specialties and what their capabilities are in Web3 and the DeFi movement. We haven't even seen a tip of the spear of that. So that's my background. I started um, started my I, I worked for two Fortune 500 companies, uh, Humana as their CISO, uh, Chief Information Security Officer. I realized that I didn't like working for in corporate America because it was an agenda that I didn't align with uh, selling people's data, uh, especially when I was experienced selling people's data uh, for a price uh, to get marketing insights to social media platforms. My whole core existence didn't align with that. So I whistle blew. I mean, I did, of course, you know, at the board, I was a C level of the C level at the time. So I mentioned many times why I thought it was a bad idea for uh, a company that's you know, advertise as a credit bureau, but it really operates as a data broker uh, selling sensitive information about Americans to Chinese assets. I didn't like that. And uh, that's why, you know, I, I, de I ultimately decided to leave. And I started my first company called Bits and Digits uh, with my business partner in Germany, Dolphy. And it was a news agency. It still is. We just, I wrote reports about things that I had seen in the wild, vulnerabilities, weaknesses. And I, I wrote it through a lens of my experience in the field and of course, that scared a lot of people. Um, ended up writing for a few magazines in the Middle East because uh, I have a strong footprint there. And then when people started to read these things, and a lot of reporters started to get a hold of my name because I was, you know, in the shadows for a long time. Never really the the exposure you see now with Jason Tate. Uh, that's a new thing. For a long time, nobody knew my name. You know, <laughs> nobody had. There was no photos on the internet of me. Is that your real name, or is that a crypto uh, identity? <laughs> no, Jason Tate is my real name as my birth certificate says that is no cover and no alias <laughs> good question though trust me i get it from girlfriends all the time but um so when i when i started getting clients or people asking you know politicians and actors and high net worth individuals were really starting to ask like hey man can you help us out you're writing all these reports but what do you do and i said i just like writing i don't like doing anymore and then people's lives started coming into to play and they would use that, you know, crying on my on my 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 strings and pulling on my strings. Rather, I started a, a company uh, that is more of a crisis mitigation firm. I, I'm not going to lie. If it wasn't for Shonda Rhimes and um, the, the, the show Scandal, I don't think that Black Alchemy would be here because that's what inspired me to do what I'm doing uh, with our team. We're all former agency people. And that's what we do. We fix problems that are un unfixable by lawyers and police officers and politicians and they come to us for solutions that are typically out of the box but that's my background in a in a, in a very succinct in my most succinct way possible that's awesome so i i guess uh i don't know a couple of different directions we could go with this but first i i was checking out your twitter before this and uh you have your your cybersecurity company twitter and then you have your personal twitter uh which is a, a lot of uh, workout videos so how many how many burpees did you do today <laughs> Good question. Uh, today, I only did 50. And that's because that was a part of the cool down. Uh, burpee segments only happen on my conditioning days, which are typically Monday, Wednesday and Friday. 
but on those days, it goes up to 100 to 200. You travel a lot too, right? So you're not like, you don't just like have like an at-home gym you're working out in. Like you're, you're doing this in like hotel rooms or wherever you are. Wherever, wherever my feet can land, I can work out. And that's the, and that, that Twitter account you just, you see, I just, I just started that maybe, maybe a month ago. Um, but on my other social media, yeah, it's a, it's a really big thing of mine to help people understand that if you understand how to work your body, you can work your mind better. And if you work your mind better, you can achieve anything you want to. So yeah, I do it. So there's no excuses. I call it the no excuse workouts. You can't, oh, there's no gym. I didn't have a place to do it. That's BS. If you've got a bed, you can work out. (laughs) We're about to, uh, so Hal and I work at Badger and we're about to all meet up in person for the first time after working together for like a year at this uh, conference in Denver. And I posted, uh, all right, who's with me? 100 burpees a day till East Denver. And it was crickets on there. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's a big number though, isn't it? That's quite the challenge. <laughs> is that is that all in one run? I do think it's really important though. Like uh, that's part of my routine, you know, in trading is just like when things are like going really, really bad, just close all the positions and go work out and like get out, get outside and do something besides. Because I don't know, it just like it re, you know, it recenters the mind and it allows you to calm down. Like you know, gets a lot of the emotions out and um, it allows you to come back and like make good decisions i think oh you don't think you're speaking truth that's a fact when you with the pain that we we you know because pain is a, a figment of our imaginations is how you process it and when you go out and work out and you get all that 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 tensities and all the the fake or the illusions of stress that you get off of the you know your daily uh, grind of whatever it's trading or technical things it's all illusions it's not real things that are impacting you it may be impacting your business or your illusion of, of wealth or business but at the end of the day, from an existential standpoint, when you get back and you hit that weight and you you, you do the, the pain workouts and you understand that, hey, I can work through this, your body, like you said, to your point, your body and your mind resets. You, you get to separate what's real versus what's fake and you come back to the table like, oh, this is just, this is this. You know, my life's not in danger. Let me, let me think of it. Let me think about it without all of these illusions and, you know, distractions in my head and come at it with a very straightforward, direct approach that may be out of the box, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's always like, I've always correlated whenever I've made the most money to when I've, whenever I was working out the most regularly. And it's not like I, there's any like one-to-one correlation, but it just always like seemed to work out that way. Strangely. Um, I've got, all right. So I've got kind of like a big picture question that I thought would be interesting to talk to you about. Like, you know, in crypto, like obviously me and Hal don't use our real names. A lot of people are, these kind of like characters that they've made up for themselves. Does that actually like lead to any safety of like them not getting hacked or, or like how, how does, how does like privacy and anonymity relate to safety? Like does being a non or like you think you're a non, does that actually provide any real world safety or is it just kind of like this illusion that people think they're helping themselves? Oh my goodness. That's a fantastic question. Thanks for asking. So in that regard, Here's what I will answer directly, first and foremost. I'd say about 85% of the people that you see or interact with, and even, even the, the people that I see and interact with on the internet and social media that have these pseudonyms or sock puppet accounts or non-doxed accounts, they are not effectively <laughs> trained in how to mask their identities. So if you are creating these accounts to provide anonymity, uh, privacy to yourself and family, 
then there is a methodology that you must deploy. As you see with a lot of the, like with the situation, and we're not going to drop any projects names, but the situation that's been hitting the streets in the last two days, it took a group of three hackers, 15 minutes to uncover the entire undocks projects uh, list because people don't know how to effectively mask their identities. Um, and when I say that, you have to remember these things. And, and you know, talking from a, a person that used to track people for a living and all types of fun, other fun stuff. You have a computer, and on that computer, if that computer at any data point of that computer, whether it's your Chrome browser, Firefox, whether it's Skype, FaceTime, at any time in that computer's history, if your number, name, or personal identity is ever exposed, yet you think you're using a pseudonym on one platform and one browser element, you're not doing it effectively. And of course, the question goes to who am I protecting my identity from? If it's a nation state that you're worried about, you don't need to be on a computer. If it's hackers you're worried about, there is a certain level of, uh, uh, we call it OPSEC, that you should apply to ensure that your masking attempts or your masking efforts are through and through, start to finish, not just, I'm going to go create a Twitter account with this pseudonym, and I'm going to generate this pseudonym off of the top of my head, but... I want to pay for the ads and advertising with a credit card that may not have my name, but it may be attached to a company that is associated with another company that I've worked for with a naming convention that can be identified. Is that making sense? Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When, I, when we, uh, when we recently started hiring a marketing uh, team for foot guns, they were like, okay, well we need you to connect your Facebook account. And I was like, okay, well, I was doing a pretty good job up until now, so I guess, and like, you know, like Facebook, I mean, they probably do it on purpose, right? You can't get a Facebook ad account unless you connect it to your personal account, right? Like you, you have to make a personal account to, to run ads on there for your business. And yeah, and on top of that, I mean, there's ways, of course, now, you know, we're not talking about the products that my company offers, but, you know, we do offer something, there's a solution we call OSINT scrubbing, where we go out and we figure that stuff out for you, you know, whether or not uh, you're a target or you've been targeted. Um, and I bring this up for a strong point. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of these social media projects. Actually, let's just say it's simple like this. A fun fact to remember. If you don't pay for the product, like if you're a, a Facebook user, if you are an Instagram user, a social media user, if you're not paying for these platforms, then you are the product. And what that means is, even though you may not think that you are using your real name, Trust and assure that the browser that you click on, the cookies that are embedded in Facebook, track and follow everywhere you go. And they are in the background. It's called hygiene listing. This is what the data broker engine is doing. Behind them, the people that actually match and marry your data elements to other data elements, whether it's about your shopping, your, your trending of what sites you go to, what comments are refer and, and, and statements you make, those correlate to an identity that you don't even see. And that identity is sold all the time. So yeah, it's hard to create, and hard being the operative word, it's hard to create a situation where you have a marketing team, uh, an, an undoxed marketing situation or platform, but it's not impossible. It just takes work. And a lot of people want to get like your, your team. They probably like, look, we got to get this done by next week if you want to make this launch. And you're like, okay, well, connect it. Okay, well, you know, are you doing this because it's a loss of life, uh, you know, uh, a loss of life warning or a loss of life 
a situation where if you expose your identity, somebody may come after you? Like, have you posted a, a whole wallet full of apes in your address <laughs> on a social media post? Or is it because you just want to maintain a certain level of privacy? You know, and those are the questions you have to ask yourself when you are developing these aliases. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, I guess what you're saying, it kind of jives with like what, what my personal thoughts are is like, you know, there, there's like, it's a spectrum, right? So like, obviously we're recording a podcast our voices are docs like we've I'm, I'm sure like said various personal offhand comments so like a determined hacker or state actor or whatever would have no trouble using data brokers or whatever means to like uncover our real identity and like i'm not yeah, really... i mean right i mean like pe- people people know who boomer is he's a very very connected person he's not done a very good job of hiding uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. I have, uh, I had clearances to several. Well, I think at one point it was like six different national labs. And no, I mean, I'm not, uh, I like, I, you know, I'm honestly like, you know, nerding out on this. Like, I love video games, played video games my whole life. Like, I love RPGs, you know, role playing and, and that sort of thing. And just like, it's just so much more fun to be, you know, how badger than like this, per, you know, and uh, that being said, I met both of the people on this podcast here in uh, real life. Uh, that's, you know, I walked up to Jason and said, hey, uh, how's it going? You look like a person that might be interested in uh, having a chat. And, uh, you know, so I'm not I'm not like afraid necessarily under that circumstance, but I do appreciate like, uh, I guess I see it this way, like you lock your door so that the person that's putting in the lowest effort possible doesn't come into your house, right? Like, so you're the people that are going to come into your house are, are going to match that effort that you're you're putting in to defend it, right? So I don't know. I guess that's the way I see it. That is the way to that's the that's the hundred one hundred percent way to look at it. The level of effort versus the single rate of occurrence. You know, that's the risk formula, right? So if you are trying to just step up your game and make sure that the people outside, the normal guy that's walking down the street that may just be a peeping Tom can't get in. Yeah. Lock your door. If you think that, you know, you've done some dealings with some heavy people and, you know, they may have access to a car and other types of tools. You set your defense parameters based off of what you think the adversary may have access or the financial capability to do or have the network to do. And of course, without going into that spectrum or that, very daunting spiral it's 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 what your risk personal risk appetite is and and it's really important even as you do this you think about not only yourself but your linkage you're pivoting to other people other social currents other social linkings that may have an effect on your pattern of life and this is unfortunately something that unfortunately something that generates revenue for us and i say that i just like to do that disclaimer because 90% of our clients don't do personal threat landscapes on themselves. You know, they wake up, they get, uh, they get an Emmy, an Emmy, and they have turned from, you know, ramen noodles to, you know, caviar overnight. And then they think that everybody's their friend. They start making these mistakes in social patterns and communications online. And then they put targets on themselves. And then they listen to their managers who are not security experts and those managers want to preserve their position in their lives and they create fake or false uh, threat landscapes that <laughs> ends up with, you know, ch- sisters, children's getting blackmailed, kidnapped. And I'm not being, there's no hyperbole here. And it's, it's just very serious. It depends on where you are in your life and what you're trying to protect. And if it's for fun, then it's for fun, you know, uh, or if it's just to cassette, cr- create 
a stepping stool or a level of access to you, that's that works as well. Yeah, I really like that. I, 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 well, yeah, let, one second, Wasabi. I just like finished that point though. I th- that's another thing. You know, it's just okay if I I'm trading crypto all day, right? I'm like I'm in DeFi, I have NFTs, like all this stuff. Um, I, you know, it's like I went and bought another laptop because it's just like I don't want necessarily to be playing video games on the same laptop that I'm, you know, trading crypto on because if my friends want to hang out and play video games, I don't want to have to worry about you know, okay, is my laptop closed? Is, you know, whatever, uh, right? It's just that that level of like, um, it reduces your own personal stress uh, and then increases your security, right? You know, 100%. And, you know, it's <laughs> I love listening. I love hearing the logic. Like that logic um, that you just, <laughs> you and I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing at how I look, how I'm perceiving it. The logic of why you would like to separate your devices is beautiful and it works. But even more, as a as a classically trained hacker and ex- exploiter, if you will, the reason why you want to separate your devices goes way beyond, you know, whether or not you're going to leave your laptop at your friends. It's a, it's it's more about the trust that you have in these products that you're using. This gaming product, games get EA Sports, for instance, they get hacked all the time. And when people think that they're hacking them just to get their points or trying to get uh, access to their digital whatever they're, you know digital currency and their verses or whatever their their gaming environments is that's completely false because one access point leads to another if i can get inside of an information system if i can break into ea sports and get access to all of the ips that were ever leveraged to access that gaming platform match that to an identity and then i'm running scans against every DeFi system out here to see if there's any correlation i'm creating link analysis for a very surgical targeting uh, for an exploit in the future. And while that may not be visual for a lot of people or or conceptual for a lot of people, that's how the mechanics of successful tar- targeted hacks work. So it's always good as that as a rock and roll. I don't remember the name of the band, but, you know, they say got to keep them separated. Uh, that is <laughs> that is so true when it comes to, you know, what you work on and what you play on, because if you play on something, you don't have the same kind of uh, scrutiny about what you install, uh, which clicks you, which links you click, you know, you've got a uprising. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to pause after this, but you've got an uprising of technology vendors that are coming out of the woods. And when I say woods, I'm literally talking out of the mud and they're saying, all right, listen, VCs, check this out. And I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I need $20 million. I'm going to create a technological laptop that is going to be secure. We're going to market it and brand it as being an NFT processing laptop. And we're going to sell it to this 300,000 or this market of 300,000 people who are looking and interested to create in the NFT space. And then when they do that, they create, they take, you know, $100,000, put it into Twitter budgets, and every NFT or creator rather is looking at this because there is no single source or authority authority right now on, you know, of course we're pivoting to that, but <laughs> there's no authority on how to decide on what technology devices to, to, to buy. So they just use the marketing and trigger words that entice you to buy it. You buy these laptops, that company gets hacked or there's a nefarious actor inside and everything's compromised. That's not something out of a movie. It actually happens much more than you think. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, okay, so... I mean, I, I feel like it really, it, again, it just, like, you have to find your level of security, right? So I, a long time ago, I mean, over 10 years now, took a old, old, old computer and installed FreeBSD on it, which is this, you know, 
operating mm-hmm. system where you can just really control every single thing that you have. I mean, it's obnoxious to install. It takes forever. Um, but the point is that like once you're done, you know every single program that's on your computer. But still, you have a risk, right? Because there's all those programs that are installed, even though there might only be 15 of them. And you can actually read all the code and like, you know, because you have all the hardware, like you don't know where that came from. Um, so what is your opinion about hardware wallets like Ledger and Trezor? Am I, is my crypto safe when I use my laptop because I have a, a Ledger and a Trezor? You know, uh, I'm glad you said those two because there are, I was, I was low key, as the kids say, I was referencing all these new wallets that are coming out in the last six months and a year. Ledger and Trezor are the only two that I stand behind. And it's not because of their brand name. It's about how they leverage their crypto systems and their crypto algorithm certifications, which are the Federal Information Processing Standard FIPS 140-2, which takes a long time and a lot of money to even get validated. That's why I choose them. That's why I say, hey, you know, if you're going to get those wallets, yeah, those two are great. But here's what's really good. Nothing, nothing is secure in and of itself. Layered approaches, defense in depth, that's something that... You know, you probably hear a lot of, you know, nowadays in the cybersecurity world, but layered approach to your security is the only way that you're going to save your wallet. You know, keeping it on you, locking it in a safe, taking it out only when you want to, making sure cold storage is safe, you know, is actually stable. Don't, you know, be processing any of your stuff against Windows. These these little OPSEC things are the, 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 the elements that are exploited that become the coup de grace of your, of your, 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 you know, any wallet exploit or hack you know what i mean it happens more than you think and more people are not going to talk about how their wallets got hit you know you see these apes oh you see these crypto projects and these crypto wallets being lost and reporters pay they try to get access to get the interview but nobody wants to talk about their battered eye and bruised ribs nobody wants to talk about that so you're not you're not allowing a lot of intelligence into the market for people to understand how these things are taking place i i went on a tangent there but yes to answer your question um Trezor and uh, Ledger are great uh, solutions. Uh, always use two-factor authentication as well. Always, like without a shadow of a doubt. Never use SMS authentication. That's the that's clearly the worst. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about having two devices, and I just recently got set up with having a separate laptop for, for crypto stuff, is just you hear about these new exploits that are super targeted phishing emails where there's a Google Doc link that looks like something and you know doing some like open source research it's not hard to like tell what project someone's involved with and then creating a fake google doc and then just the kind of shit that people will click all the time without thinking about so just like separating the computer that i use to just click links and do social media and do discord and like all of that everyday stuff just like it's it's very mentally freeing right to just know that like okay if i click a link on my normal computer it's, it's good because it's going to be totally kind of gaps from my crypto stuff. That's the safest approach to take. You know, you, you look, it's called, we call it compartmentalization. You know, you've got a situation where at, what's the worst it's going to take place if it is compromised. You're going to lose access to that, that wallet or you're going to lose access to your, your internet cache that you were tracking and doing your monitoring of your, your, you know, your trade options. There's a, very, there's a very big difference there. So yes, keep it separated. Keep it compartmentalized because your discipline is different. Your mental focus is different when you're dealing with things that are leisurely and research and things that are dealing with your money and your lifestyle. Our minds and our focus 
aligns completely different in those two aspects or those two different silos. And with that, you have those the, the precautions that you take. I think, I think this, this episode's well-timed and really important because I don't know if you all saw this and it might just be complete FUD or whatever and made up. I, I, haven't, I haven't been able to verify it yet. Um, but that Coinbase in their something, I don't know. I didn't even look at the document. But you know, people are just spreading around that uh, if Coinbase were to, you know, go bankrupt, they would be able to just like take all the, the crypto that they have and use that um, as, you know, collateral in the bankruptcy and even if it's your coins. So um, I don't know. I, maybe that's fake. Um, but I guess it, it. you think it's real. OK. Oh, no, I think that's very real. I've read that. That was that was something that people were pointing out uh, before just that any exchange not just coinbase if they if any exchange goes bankrupt it's just like with mount gox right like you had the we had that episode with thomas brazil and like those mount gox creditors have been waiting years to be paid out why are they creditors because they were depositors in mount gox when they blew up and so then they're at the back of the line behind everyone else in the in the bankruptcy yeah Okay, right, right. So there is precedent for it. So then, yeah, so so I think this this is really important for people to, you know, that if you've never taken self-custody of crypto before, yeah, I, I, I don't, my experience so far, and I, you know, I'll just say this right now, like exposing myself a little bit. I have a paper wallet. I have um, USB with crypto on it. I have computers with crypto on it. I have ledgers and nanos and, um, I mean, ledger nanos and uh, uh, treasures with crypto on it. I do not feel safe with anything other than like the the ledger and the treasure. Everything else, like I'm doing it because you know risk management wise, right? Like there is a possibility that the paper wallet ends up being like the safest thing. But right, that the paper wallet, like it can literally burn. It can. I have it in a fireproof bag, right? Like you know. So I mean, taking self custody of cryptocurrency is not uh-uh. like just this trivial thing it, it it's uh it's a brand new thing to the world i think right like there's there's been nothing like it before um so yeah it's it's um it's something that you should really consider and and know that yeah it's also you know there's a risk to leaving on an exchange as well um that yeah i mean ri- risk management i think is the most interesting topic in the world and and very underappreciated and understudied um i've spent a lot of time in several libraries trying to read books about risk management and there's there's not a lot of well-written things about it no there's not but if you want to take a dab if you would like to dabble across the i guess the 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 lake of risk management in the cyber world from a cyber perspective pick up an old and i'm saying old i'm not saying new because this new literature i just can't say i agree with an old sean harris book on CISSP, the certification for uh, cybersecurity. But if you just pick up her book, her algorithms on risk management, risk deviation, risk leveragement is is it's 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 better than a lot of the universities that I've attended on that same subject. Um, and it's applied knowledge. It's not something that she's just re- regurgitating because of another book. She's regurgitating because of her position in her life that she did for a long time. A lot of these CISSP books are, are discontinued from Sean Harris because it's old. I'm dating myself. I am 40. But it's really good. But here, here here's a fun thing. I, I'd like to go back, if that's okay, to the exchange scenario, so to speak. We, in Bits and Digits, if you ever go to our website, bitsdigits.news, right? We put out 10 commandments for crypto. 
about this is like six years ago. And the first third commandment is never exchange, never store any of your crypto on an exchange. If it's not in your wallet, it's in somebody else's wallet. And that's how you should always look at it from a crypto perspective. If it's not in your personal, if you can't touch it, can't move it, then it's in somebody else's fund to move around. Coinbase has so many situations and, you know, you talk, you know, we are a crisis mitigation. So we have a lot of access to things that we, you know, normal other people don't typically have access to. But when it comes to Coinbase and how they have manipulated people's wallets, held wallets and even, you know, protested in court, it's it's a game, unfortunately, that they will always win because that's what you sign in that EULA agreement, whether or not. You know, we're talking about the the, vernac the 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 financial vernacular of, you know, what their positions are as investors or holders. Or, no, no, no. At the end of the day, you know, brass tax, brass tax is what it is. You're taking your money and you're putting it into their system and they have access to that system. And if they need to shut down, they will and they have and they will continue to do it on any exchange, any exchange. I don't leave. I highly advise anybody who's using any kind of crypto. Uh, especially if you're not trading and that's a requirement or utility in your, your your line of work or your pattern of life, there's no reason for you to use an exchange. There's no reason to leave it on exchange at all. Like, why would you leave it there? Overnight, in one night, you can you, you can end up, you know, upside down and inside out. And I've seen it. I'm not speaking about something I read in a book. I've seen it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm Coinbase's worst customer. I just <laughs> move fiat there, turn it into stablecoin, move it into DeFi and do things with it. And then the opposite um, I, I, in my mind, the biggest difference that Bitcoin, like the separation between Bitcoin, um, you know, and then, right, uh, anything that adheres to this proof of work standard. So currently like Ethereum, um, and Bitcoin, um, is that when you send it to a secondary party, when you send your dollars to a secondary party, you will always sue that secondary party, right? Like that secondary party will lose your dollars and they're the ones responsible to get it back to you. But once that Bitcoin goes to that secondary party, if they lose it, you now have to sue the third party, right? And then, then when that third party loses it, you have to sue the fourth party, right? Like the, there's never, um, there, there, you know, the, the, the buck stops here with the dollar, right? Like whoever loses it, it's, it's their responsibility. But Bitcoin just has this power that, um, you know, you can just keep going. So, um, you know, if you, uh, I, I, I think you quoted this on your, your Twitter one time that was, um, if you try and change it, you will ruin it and you try and hold it, you will lose it. <laughs> I love that. Like applied to Bitcoin. Um, uh, because yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's the, like it, it's why Bitcoin is still the number one cryptocurrency. All these other ones are like, well, let's change Bitcoin and you know, why? And then all these people that are saying that they're going to hold Bitcoin forever. Like, you know, honestly, most of them have. Uh, parted with a lot of their Bitcoin, either because they got rich or they literally lost it or, uh, you know, other reasons, maybe things that they had no control over. Um, you know, that that's the thing that everyone, you know, they buy their first Bitcoin and they think, oh, I'll hold this forever. It makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, the price goes up <laughs> uh, 10x, you sell it. Um, the literal actual things happen to you in your life that force you to like sell it back into dollars when you don't want to. That's like, you know, what's awful. It's what's happening to a lot of people right now, I think. Right now. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I, I do think um, it's a risk that just like people haven't really considered. And with the dollar, you used to just leaving it at a bank and you know that or you don't know, but you hope that um, if something happens to that bank, that 
you know, you're going to get your money back from that bank because the government's going to figure it out for you. But even if the government tells whoever took your Bitcoin to give you their Bitcoin back, even if they find them, whatever, like if they're, you know, if they've hid it from you in a very clever way or lost it or put it on a paper wallet and burnt the wallet, like it, that Bitcoin's gone forever. Right? It literally is. And there's, and that's the, that's the beauty. Well, huh. it, it can be the beauty and the, the, two-edged sword of 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 this game because from a from a legal perspective our legal system is definitely light years behind you know the maturity of where the market is to enforce anything that would be viable as a solution in those circumstances that you presented but you know that's why you have the vigilantes you know or i i classify them as vigilantes people going out and doing things their way uh to to either ensure and that's where the next market that's the next big thing to me in my mind and that, you know, I'm not a market guy. I'm just looking at, you know, the trends and how <clears throat> the, tr the legacy space works. Insurance is going to be the next one that regulates Web3. It's what it's the insurance market. When somebody gets in and really gets to the, the nuts and bolts of insuring DeFi's, insuring exchanges on a whole, like not MTGOX level, like that, that, that situations. Whew. But when you're talking about these new institutions coming out, it's going to be the insurance guys or the insurance people rather, they're going to have the enforcement capability that nobody else has and nobody has ever seen before. I assure you of that. Because it's, it's a big money pool. It's a big cash grab for that. Yes, yeah. I, in my mind, I just can't see that happening without like someone accumulating a ton of Bitcoin. Uh, like, because how, how else do you insure against Bitcoin, basically? You, you say, yeah, you're saying you need to have Bitcoin to insure it. Well, I'm pretty sure there would have to be some kind of translation layer or excuse me if I'm using the wrong terms, but there's, there'd have to be some kind of conversion assurance, if you will, uh, against in, in, yeah, there's no way that they could, that anybody could acquire that much Bitcoin right now. I mean, yeah, the only other, the only other thing is like, uh, physical things, right? Like literal, like gold oil, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Like if we lose your Bitcoin, then we'll give you a hundred barrels of oil or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and don't think for a second that won't be an option or that won't be something that somebody would take. I would take gold, a gold any day, any day over Bitcoin, like as, as, a, as something to back it. But that's me. And that's where I look at life. But I'm pretty sure there's some tangible elements out there that, that can be assured. And the, the brainchild, while in this room is very extensive and large, the insurance guys who have, have those, those walking algorithms will come up with something that would be viable. Watch. Mark my words. Three years, it happened to the it happened in, in the in the legacy space. I the in, when it comes to security, it, you never hear about insurance, but it's this insurance that runs that whole entire sphere. When it comes to risk management, insurance runs that. Who creates the algorithms that are accepted? Insurance agencies. When you go to any kind of risk management forum, it's an insurance company that's sponsoring it. Assure you of that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's a, that's our. Um... Uh, the, you know the, the other guy we have on here boomer he's keeps saying that about the cme which i i've been reiterating to people because i think it's a really important thing is that on uh you know commodities i mean sorry chicago's mercantile exchange if you want to buy you know uh, a long contract of oil futures or, or short oil futures um the the risk management team there you know has said okay this is the price you have to pay and that price is pretty you know one-to-one 
but on on Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, you have to pay a lot more money to go short than to go long. So I don't know. I think that's the most the bull. Like all these people come up with all these like different things that are, that are bullish and, or bearish or whatever. And I just think that's you know if you if you're if you're willing to you know hold this thing for five years or something like that. Well, I think you should just hold it until that that ratio levels out. If you have that discipline, absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. If you if you have the uh, the excess capital and discipline, yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a for everybody has their own algorithm, you know, and that, and even if you join a company or you're working on your project with other people, those algorithms change. Your algorithms of risk acceptance, avoidance, shippage, slippage, it's it's different. You know, I work in the me personally, I work in the if you will, I work in the security, you know, risk. Uh, 360 degrees risk profile. That's how I look at things. I look I look at life through a lens of exploitation. That's maybe unfortunate, but I balance that with good moderate meditation and tai chi in the morning as well. So I don't see the I don't see the world as some pessimistic cesspool, but I definitely see the risk that other people don't because of that. You know that's that's you know I I the criminals outthink the basics, and I try to outthink the criminals, if you will. And sometimes I think with the criminals, you know, I have people that I associate with at least weekly that I know are not law abiding citizens. And, you know, that's a relative term, but um, but their mind thinks differently. And I like that. I'm attracted to that, how people's minds work when they come up with a logic or a formula for exploitation, because uh, it helps me to create safeguards and countermeasures, you know. And the same thing in the financial. Here's a here's another question I have for you. Going back to the thing about anonymity in, in crypto, um, we've seen in the last year a couple of situations where there are these large DAOs that form and they're managing a lot of money, and then it turns out that person X, who you thought was a friendly, uh, you know, character, cartoon character, is actually you know behind some multi million dollar hack from five years ago or whatever, right? And so. There's one side of the coin that says, okay, you know, in crypto, DeFi, everything is code. And, you know, since people can read the code and understand what's going on and audit it, like it doesn't really matter who's signing these transactions or, you know, then there's the real reality that, okay, once people realize that, hey, there's this criminal who's part of this DAO managing the money, then it's basically like lights out for that, right? So there's not really been practically a way that, to separate the, the the people behind it from from their reputations and kind of these like uh, meat space risks and and reputational things. So like, do you think that it's actually going to be possible to have these you know groups of anonymous people coming together to write code that manages hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in a sustainable way, or is it always going to have someone uh, peeing in the punch bowl? You know. That's a good question. And I know exactly, I know a few references you're speaking of. Here's the thing, brand management, brand preservation, brand presence, um, and your ability to drive interest from your brand is based off of your reputation and your capability of maintaining that reputation. I think, and this is just me, Jason Tate speaking, I think that ego kills a lot of these projects in the event of some of these other, these, these issues that you're talking about. Me personally, knowing that uh, this big D5 that is doing well, doing wonders. Doing uh, wonders. One of its strong players was involved with some skin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was doing doing wonders. And also one of its strong players, maybe five years ago, was involved in multi-million dollar scams. That individual 
is the one, and I'm speaking about one project in particular, one situation in particular. A wonderful. It was that person's cartoon one particular character. cartoon character. Yeah, one particular cartoon with a wonderful hat. <laughs> yes, but the the that ego is what got them exposed, you know. And you have to, that has to be managed at the institution level. It's not something that I think is a trend. You know, people are always want to cancel somebody, and everybody wants to judge. Everybody has an idea or a speculation about something that is not themselves. That's what they do in the web two space. That's what everything was predicated. Oh, Twitter's this, and this is this. And, you know, if somebody was making a racial comment or somebody didn't, you know, treat a woman, right. And I'm not saying that in jovial manner at all. I'm just saying whatever the cancel culture criteria was that was leveraged against them. The web three space, in my opinion, is a place where you can do these things. If you control your parameters and you have a good internal checks and and, and balances system where you say, Hey, listen, if you're going to be, out there talking and giving advice and getting on your pedestal because you want to bolster your ego, know that when you are exposed, not if, it's going to hurt our company. So do we have that risk appetite? These are the internal questions you have to ask because if you think there's any company out there in existing or, and I don't mean present and not even present company excluded, if you don't think that there is a project out there that has somebody with skeletons in their closet, you haven't dug deep enough, you know? So when it comes to transparency, I think that's an internal thing. I think that's something where if you want to talk and expose, like, can you tell me personally, all of the employees at IBM? No. Could you probably scrape up some information and come up with maybe 65% of their active roster? Yeah. And out of them, would we find, let's just say, nefarious actors or people with a checkered pass? Absolutely. But it's that legal team, their, 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 their PR team, their communications team, their internal HR team that keeps a level of, uh, just, just say, obfuscation, if you will, right, away from the public's, uh, public's op- opinion so that it can maintain its, you know, its engines. The same thing is going to have to happen, and it is happening in the Web3 space. Web3 entities are going to start hiring PR firms. They already have, if we, and I'm hinting at something that happened yesterday. If, we, if you listen closely to the words that were used by certain individuals, and yesterday, um, that was a PR team script. And as you start seeing this maturity grow, you're going to start seeing, okay, well, listen, hey, listen, so you just did five years. Uh, maybe we don't even want you to mention your name on our Twitter at all, because uh, <laughs> that could cause a damage uh, impact to our brand. But that's a trial and error thing. This is going to be a maturity evolution over time situation. And those decisions are going to be need to be made based off of what resources they have. Do they have a black alchemy solutions that they're ready where they can say, hey man, uh, we need you to manage this and manage this, 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 this leak and this, that. Or are you going to shoot from the hip and just say, hey, well, we're just freaking transparent. We're all DGENs and all that um, uh, hype. Uh, definitely over time, it's going to turn into, well, what is our position? What kind of people do we want investing their money in our project? And is it going to impact us? You know what I mean? Did I answer your question? I think so. I think what you're saying is like, Eventually, it's going to get professionalized over time to the point where these places will just have like, okay, you know, maybe this is our marketing, you know, this is the cartoon character that's like the marketing. And then if you actually want to be on a multi-sig that's signing transactions here, fill out this, you know, SF86 and we'll do the full deep dive and make sure that you're not a scammer. Yeah, that and well, and that's just a protection mechanism. I'm saying, I mean, I'm saying that DeFi is going to have to determine what kind of exposure they want. You know, are they going to do the SF86 level intrusion, you know, hmm. like review? I said intrusion. <laughs> I'm joking. You know, I've 
multiple clearances, but I had multiple clearances. But, um, you know, is, is it something that you want to have exposed or if it's not? If not, you stand behind the curtains. You don't expose yourself. You don't even get the right to expose that you work with us because we need your intellectual capacity, but we don't need the brand damage that you're going to bring. That's it's a, it's a, like you said, yeah, you said it, you, you, spot, you hit it spot on. It's the appetite and the maturity. I think over time, it definitely will mature uh, into places where the leaderships are going to make decisions that are valid about how much exposure they want. Because that situation that we, or the few situations we're talking about in the last seven months or nine months, those were atrocious and they hit. And I, I know for a fact that they were lessons learned, you know? Oh, well, you know for a fact they're lessons learned because you're three what is it you know the kevin bacon number right <laughs> uh, three degrees of yeah. separation i mean you're at least three i mean because <laughs> me i'm two Wasabi's i don't know at least. like the thing, the thing about crypto is like i don't know like do we have to keep learning these same lessons over and over so like i was in you know the first round of algo stables a year ago right and they collapsed and it was fun and i it, Wait, are we yeah, like about, empty set dollar, yeah, dying, right? And, and so, ESD. like, I feel like I learned my lesson, yeah. and because yeah. of that, because I was just getting into crypto and just playing around with small amounts, I was like, okay, you know, this is a bad idea. I'm going to stay away from it. The next round, but then the next round is like 600 times bigger and just hurt a lot more people. So I don't know, like, it it would be good to have have some way to like preserve the lessons learned. Um, and you know, it wasn't like ancient history. It was like eight months ago or nine months yeah, ago. I do, I do, I do have happening. to say this, though. When when Bitcoin made this head and shoulders top last year, this time, it was like it was April last year or something, um, Boom, Boomer and I were talking, and I stayed in the trade. He was like, hey, that's a head and shoulders. And I was like, yeah, but, you know. And, he, and then afterwards, like, after I lost a bunch of money, he was like, so I know why you stayed in the trade. It's like, because you just wanted to see if it would be different this time, right? Like, so... I think that's like sort of what's happened is like everyone's just okay this time it's different right <laughs> you know uh i don't know it's like you hate to see it but um it happens and i honestly i encourage it because like every once in a while it is different right well that's that i think that's part of the evolutionary process however we all know that most humans have attention span of a of, you know of an adult sized squirrel like it's it doesn't you can you can PR your way out of any crisis that has ever happened, especially in, in the age of social media. People's attention spans and, and memory is, is not that of, let's just say others, okay? I'm being very PC there. So with that being said, you know, whether or not the lessons are learned or if they are mitigated are two different things. You know, it, it's, it's, do I think in the future people are going to get more, um, <laughs> Uh, picky, more skeptical, uh, skeptical about what they invest in and how they invest in what safeguards are in play. Absolutely. Well, I know the big people are everybody looking to make a quicker, uh, the, you know, the, the immediate flippers, if you will, uh, they are going, or the more risk adverse, there we go. Or the, the people with larger risk appetites, rather, they are definitely not going to have that scrutiny. And that's going to be in every game. That's why you have a dark market. That's why you have vice. Uh, it's a different type of decision-making people have, but, but in this space where the regulation is not as mature as other spaces, it's the wild, wild west. And it will continue to be that until something steps in to block it, manage it, categorize it, catalog it, and organize it. You know? Yeah, there's this guy, uh, 
Galois Capital, and he was one of the biggest uh, Luna bears. And he just tweeted something. You know, he has been short them the whole time. He tweeted something below the old. Beware the old man in a profession where the young men die. Beware of the old man. Oh, dang, that was. Yeah. So, you know, you see it. You see it. You got to get some muscle memory. You got to remember what what happened. Nine months. I think ago. this is great. I think I think the whole thing. In my mind, it's just Bitcoin hardening, right? Like it is the coolest. Like I'm okay. So I'm just coming out because we're public podcast. Um, we we got to drop this in here. We're trying to we're trying to get some subscribers right now to our our premium. We're offering it for forty percent off. We're really bad at pitching ourselves and asking for you guys to sign up. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I think, um, you know, our marketing team said that they don't really like this idea, but honestly, I we're offering like the premium so that you guys can pay us so that we can get more people in here. Like we we're paying our intern right now. He's a young kid who's like, you know, growing and he is like just evolved so much in the last year uh, working for us, um, you know, producing content for you guys and sort of stuff like that. So I want to bring more people into here and I want to pay them. And it's, it's you guys that are paying them, not me. We have, we've not literally, we've taken no profits from, from foot gun so far. Um, so yeah, just, just throwing that in there. We're, we're putting this out publicly because I want you guys to hear it. There's like so much great information. Um, mainly the reason we do the private podcast is so that we can say more and be more comfortable in what we're saying. So, um, you know, drop more names and uh, be more specific and that sort of thing. Uh, anyways, yeah, I, I I really have appreciated this. I think we should um, keep going a little bit longer, Jason. If you're if you're down, otherwise, you know, it's been an hour. We could we could. Yeah, that's of, like, cool. I, I actually more. do have a little bit of a stop uh, at one thirty, uh, my time. So yeah, if you want to continue to then, if you want to wrap up, it's either way. But you know, I'm not. I don't believe the universe has any time for me to expire anytime soon. So we can always reconvene any other time. I I have some just like rapid fire questions. I think it would be good to just get like your, so obviously you were talked about, you know, the spectrum of security and like your level of paranoia kind of like goes on a slider with what you're trying to protect, how much assets you have it at stake. So like, if I could just spot you up with like some different kind of like levels and if you wouldn't mind just giving like your recommendations for what someone should be doing at one of these different levels along the spectrum. <clears throat> no problem. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. All right. So like level one, you're dabbling in crypto for the first time. You've got a Coinbase account. Maybe you're, you know, heard about this DeFi thing. Maybe you downloaded some app on your phone. Uh, you're just getting your seed phrase set up. Like what, what should someone be doing at this level? First, uh, the first response is move slow. They should be moving very slow and methodically. Um, if they are thinking about investing anything more than $500, or let's say this, whatever the amount that they are willing to invest into this you know, new technology, this new investment space that they're about to play in, if it would hurt them uh, fiscally, if it would hurt their life pattern, this is what they need to do. Get their own phone. They need to get a new phone. They need to ensure that that phone is locked down. And by that, I mean, you know, ensuring the basics of uh, ensuring, number one, uh, you know, having an antivirus, having a malware protector, ensuring that you are not installing any other apps on that phone other than what's needed. 
Uh, what's needed are, you know, especially if you're talking about DeFi, if you're, you, you, you're just introducing yourself into Coinbase, um, which I don't, you know, that's my personal thing. Make sure that you are not installing any other programs or apps on that phone because every app on that phone is a spying device. Have a phone pin. Uh, when I say pin, I'm not talking about a four digit. I'm saying you should have at least a password on that phone. Ensure that that phone is whole disencrypted or that laptop. You know, File Vault is the OSX version. Uh, I Android and iPhone have their own uh, versions of whole disencryption. And two-factor authenticate everything at that point. All right. So two-factor authentication and whole, whole disencryption on phone and laptop. Whole disencryption, uh, you know, whole disencryption with, you know, that is factored in with a password that is very strong, 14, uh, 12 to 14 characters. Uh, uppercase, lowercase, special, uh, spare, special characters as well. Uh, yes, and you know, of course, any passwords that you create for this device or any passwords that you create for any of these systems need not to be a password that you've ever created in your past ever, because we, you know, obviously it's called you know um, credential washing attacks. Where I know right now, anybody on this phone, anybody that listens, they can send me their email address, literally, and I can tell you every password that you've had. 99% chance if you've had that pa if you've had that email address longer than two years, I can tell you what your passwords have been. So the purpose here is not to use any password that you've ever created in the past. And don't use passwords. Use passphrases. And the difference between a password and a passphrase is uh, a passphrase is a statement that is then scrambled in your own level of encryption so uh, a password could be capital p at sign dollar dollar w o r d and a passphrase would be a quick brown fox jumps over a lazy dog except how that's capitalized and, and spelled out is different but yes in in, in in that form that's where you should be uh from your risk or your protection all right so let's uh let's go to the next level you have maybe uh made a little money doing some uh defi degen stuff maybe you have some uh random smart contracts from DeFi summer that you've approved on your hardware wallet. Um, but you've got, you know, a decent chunk that you would, uh, be upset to lose. It's more than just uh, kind of like play money. Uh, what are the steps at this level? At this level, you're talking, you know, hard, hard wallet. Uh, definitely you're looking at a treasure or ledger. You're looking at separating all devices. Um, because you're actually doing something on a daily basis, it seems, that may be interacting or causing you to generate revenue. Uh, you're, 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 when I say separate devices, you should definitely have your own independent, isolated air gap, so to speak, uh, device that's surgically or specifically focused for that uh, trading activity. That laptop needs to be the same requirements as before. Hold this encrypted, never use a Windows machine. Um, you know, making sure that the seed phrases that you have for your whole disencryption are locked away in a GSA approved fire rated safe. Uh, the same place where you keep your treasure when it's not in your back pocket or in your physical, you know, line of vision. Uh, number two, you should ensure that where you work uh, or where you do this, these, these things, uh, whether or not you're doing them at home or in an office or a collab. You never face toward a window. You never, ever, without any reason, use a computer or use that computer without your VPN being on. So you want to have your kill switch turned on always. Um, keeping your computer, number one, up to date. 
making sure that your antivirus is always up to date. Um, you know, you you want to have uh, a OT, not a non OTP style uh, dongle for your two factor authentication. So no SMS ever for two factor authentication. You're going to be using a one key or a YubiKey uh, to do your access to the machine and access to any of the third party apps that you're leveraging. Most <clears throat> DeFi email and exchanges accept uh, like YubiKeys. And if they don't, I wouldn't use them personally at that, you know, anything over $50,000 or what you consider $50,000 to be uh, something where if you lost it, uh, it could cause you a, a bit of pain. You definitely don't want to do that. You know, you definitely want to keep that locked. Um, you would refrain from using a lot of communications openly, uh, always covering your, your web, your webcam, uh, with a piece of tape or something. I know that sounds paranoia, but it's not paranoia when somebody really wants what you have. And then <clears throat> never buying off brand or third party things where you buy the treasure. You're not buying the treasure or the lot, uh, ledger from Amazon. You're buying them directly from source. And uh, you have a home alarm system and you have a security system and a video re uh, rec recording system and you have um, or video like, you know, something where you have uh, a reasonable amount of monitoring to the access points, the ingress and egress points of the places where you do your work and store your material. How do you feel about uh, password managers? I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, mm. I was going to ask the same question. A pet. Let's, 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 yeah, let's, let's talk about password managers for a second, like in a very kindergarten, you know, first grade level. It's a piece of software that is written by developers and coders that want, that is created for you to store all of your passwords in. So looking at it from a logical, logical perspective, here's what I say. Only use a password manager that is vetted that has had all of its uh, code testing lab reviews on crypto systems published and code review, peer reviewed, there's only a few. And then number two, never use a password manager that stores anything in the cloud. If you're going to need a password manager and you have a team or if it's personal, it has to be on premise. It has to be on site uh, for me. Password managers, they serve a function, especially when you're dealing with you know, so many different uh, ones, but you can also leverage, you know, a nice, simple two-factor authentication system that can mitigate the risk of somebody breaking into like LastPass because that's actually happened, you know, and it's not like it only happened once, uh, you know, that that's, that's where I stand on that. Yeah. As, as, as somebody that's like, I mean, so, you know, I've, the only thing I haven't done <laughs> is I've never like programmed chips. But, you know, I've built an operating system. I've built, you know, uh, supercomputers, like literally actually physically installed them, installed the software on them, plugged the wires in, like whatever. Um, I think for me with the with LastPass, the only thing I'm worried about is that that data is stored somewhere on a server somewhere. And if somebody can get into that server, they could get all of my passwords. But I don't know. It's just like... I mean, if you're really on it and if you're really following the security of it, it's, I don't see it as like a huge risk. The only thing I would say is to never do is to, to put your private keys into a password manager. Yeah. Well, here's, here's why, you know, cause there's, there's a mitigation to every risk, right? 
and I definitely see your position and I agree with it. So here's what I'm saying. Here's what, here's my point. If you follow basic OPSEC hygiene or, you know, operational security hygiene, which are, which is number one, you don't have a password longer than 35 to 55 days. You change them and revolve them. You make sure that they're not um, marriable or recognizable or identifiable to any of the other ones that you use. Every time that you revolve them, you never share them. And then, you know, that, I mean, those, just those three things right there are simple enough to keep you at a level of security or assurance that, you know, it would take a pay, basically a nation state to go ahead and figure out your stuff, you know, figure out your password. So that's. Well, well actually, I just want to go into one uh, detail about that. Cause you said like identifiable to other passwords that you use. So here's one thing that I've like done in my life that I think is fun. And I want to hear your opinion about this is like, so I've thought about like, okay, what if you make your password more kinetic? So it's just like, think about like how you're typing, right? Like, so like, is there some way where when your fingers are on the keyboard, it's like a memorable way for you to, to, to remember that password? Like, you know, not necessarily like an English way, but just like how your, how your, your body feels when you're typing in the password. Well, and then uh, the other thing I was thinking of is like rhyming instead of like, um, you know, like English things. So like, you're like, okay, these words like sort of like rhyme together or like this, you know, so you can come up with something that's just like really out of the blue, but in your mind, you can like rhyme it back to something like some other password you used to have. You know, so when you when it comes to passwords, think about how they're how they're exploited, right? The number one way passwords are exploited through rainbow tables or dictionary attacks. So the number one thing that you know use anything that works for you, whether it's you know bi biome biometric entropy, whatever it is, whatever it is, don't allow them to be in any language dictionary any dictionary in any language, no word that you ever use should be in any dictionary ever. And by dictionary, I'm talking about the, the spelling of P O I N T for point. You can spell P zero I N T and that's still in the dictionary, you know? So when you're creating your passwords, think about how they're exploited. That idea that you presented. Yeah. Hold on. I just, I got to stop you though. This is, I have no Bitcoin just has a thousand, a thousand three hundred point swing in a one minute candle. Oh wow! Let's fucking go! And it's it, yeah twenty eight. It hit the twenty eight three hundred and bounced up to twenty eight twenty nine three hundred in a one minute candle. Wow! <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I I you know when when I was trading this when it was at three thousand dollars, it was like okay, well if we make it into the oh, sorry, I don't know if you guys can hear that noise. Can. can you hear that? <laughs> it's all good though. Okay, um, but yeah, it's just like, you know, just if you just do the math, like if we make it up to the $10,000 range, we're going to have $1,000 swings, like eventually, right? right. <laughs> That's where we are. If we make it higher, then we're going to have $10,000 swings in a one minute candle. Um, but yeah, no, amazing. I just, um, these markets are just unbelievably wild. We're getting to really, I mean, in my mind, we, we get to finally speak the truth, right? Like I... I personally didn't really want to, um, you know, for the last year, just draw a bunch of people into crypto when I saw it going up the way it was, because, you know, uh, the, the way the, the way the world tends to go is uh, right. There's a there's a big reaction to the to the action or whatever. Um, it's not always true, but but a lot of the times it happens. So um, I don't know. It's just very exciting in this moment that we get to like be more 
discreet and scrutinized projects and that sort of thing. I'd, I I would love to have you back on and talk more about um, NFTs and that sort of thing. Cause I know, I know you're involved in that space. I think, um, I think you definitely have to make another uh, repeat appearance sometime in the next year. I would love that. I look forward to it actually. You know, I'm, I'm speaking at um, NFT NYC uh, next month, uh, me and my business partner. <clears throat> And that's one of the, it's not that we're in that space, it's that we want to secure this space. We're protection agents. I mean, even, I don't own that. My business partner owns the apes and the, the all those other the name brand stuff. I don't, that's not my game. My game is, I feel I have a passion. I feel the universe sent me here to do something and I'm doing it. And everything else is just a wonderful byproduct. The, the money, the friends, the associates, the computers, the crypto, <laughs> that's just byproducts. But yeah, I would love to. Love and to. I just have one more level to, to ask you about here. Like, say say you are kind of like a founder in crypto or you have or a signer on a super big protocol that's controlling hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, like something where you could c- cause like major systemic risk or, or big big time losses if, if there's a security incident. Like what what is the security picture look like for someone like that? That's that's alpha. What I'm about to share with you right now. That's called alpha. So that's about 85 percent of our clients. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you plug your uh, Why don't you plug your guys's company a little bit? And uh... <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we provide. BlackAlchemySolutions.group. This is what we provide: a, a level of assurance and security, and insights and, and consultation to people who don't know how to navigate the questions that you're asking about. Okay, well, you're moving millions and billions of dollars. What is your pattern of life and what does your security uh, landscape look like? So at this point, you can afford to be more fortified because you are a target. Number one, you have removed all of your uh, non-essential digital identity traces out of the Internet. Of course, that's a product and that's a a service that we provide called Ocean Scrubbing. But that person needs to understand at this point they are a soft target and that soft target means that they they have people out there that can go out and look into their, you know, all of the data brokers and pull out information to figure out where they live, where their families live. And they look at it from that perspective. Number two, um, when it comes to your network security, because we're no long, longer talking about just a computer. We're talking about you're taking a computer from point A to point X to point B to point Y. That needs to be all locked down and uh, what we call stigged and macked. And what that means is, and it's not what we call it, it's what the industry calls it. Stig, every computer that you deal with touch needs to have a secure template and implementation guy applied to it. Whether that's OSX and turning off all services that you don't need and do need, it needs to be fortified. It needs to be a fortified machine. That's where you're operating at now. So everything that we we discuss in the aforementioned levels, you need to add on top of that the implementation of security controls on those computers. Then you need to have defaults and alternates. So all of your YubiKeys, your one keys, and your two-factor authentication tokens and your processors, those need to have primary and alternates. The alternates need to be set in an off-site location, 30 miles at minimum away. And that means that you need to go out and need to have the ability to go out and get it, not go out in the backyard and retrieve it. And that's for a very that's for a more KNR, kidnap and ransom type of reasoning, uh, which we're not, you know, need to get into here. But it does happen, like in more more frequently, more frequently than not. Uh, your post office, your 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 safety deposit boxes, where you store your 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 paper wallets and all of your other uh, very essential products, uh, that needs to be not in your name. That needs to be under an alias or in somebody that in a trust written in a trust is built uh, to secure your identity, and you need to have that wrapped up 
in, you know, a place that's 30, at least a bank that's 30 miles away from your home and your office, right? Your company, where you're working at, you need to have continuous or revolving penetration tests and vulnerability assessments by a trusted third party, a party that you have a real trust in because they are going to know more weaknesses about you. Identifying what you're typing and how you're typing, how you're communicating, those are risks now. Everybody that talks about what your business is doing, you need to have a monitor on what is exfilling and infilling into that network and getting out to the public. Why? Because everything that you discuss now is critical intelligence on how to exploit you. So you have to have communication and, and, and processing discipline, if you will. Uh, let's see. And, and that's really at the, at the end of the day, you know, understanding that you need to be operating at a different echelon of personal security and privacy is, is, is where you are. You, you have a bodyguard at this point. I mean, if you're a billionaire, you, you have a bodyguard and that bodyguard is not with you, but you have somebody that you need to be escorted with for major events. When you go to <clears throat> when you're traveling. You have things like a, a burner phone that has Haven installed so that you can put it inside your room and it automatically acts as a as a as a as a home intrusion detection device and recording device. So it blocks evil mate attacks and things like that. You need to be operating at that level. You can't operate at a capacity where you think these these attacks will not be uh, touched by you, because I assure you, every client that I t every cl dark client that I turn away. Hey, OK, so listen, can you. Can you get some seals and maybe see, and then we can break in and they can do and make a neat every person that I've turned away, which is mm -hmm. all of them, right? Every you know person asking for dark magic, if you will. There are five other people like me, and there's not many of us out there. There's maybe like a thousand people trained like me, and I know a few of them would take those positions, and they have taken them, you know. And I'm not saying I know criminality has happened. What I'm saying is greed, money, finance that always motivates people. So you need to also think in that capacity, not in. And we, I don't like to use the word paranoid. It's you need to be hypervigilant about how you communicate, what you communicate, never, never using a, your communication devices. You're not using anything that's, that's traditional anymore. You're not walking around with the iPhone 13. You're not doing that. At that level, you may have an iPhone 13 for your personal devices, but you're using either a, you know, a black phone derivative or a completely stigged out, debadged, you know, securified phone for your business. You're not using a regular phone like the the in level one and level two we're discussing, where everybody else has a, you know, you just have two phones. No, your phone needs to be different. And there's a few security security vendors out there, my company included, that can build you or have a company build you one that is specifically crafted for your security appetite or your risk appetite. And you need to have a Faraday bag with you at all times. You need to carry a Faraday bag in your car. You need to have a Faraday bag in your per in your woman's purse or in your purse. And when you're not using that phone, it needs to be in that Faraday bag all the time. Stops. Uh, and those are just stops a few. The, of them. Uh, electricity from getting to it can't like. Uh, right. Well, it's, it stops more than that. <laughs> it stops. Well, but so like so the so so a Faraday cage will uh, like cause any electrical signal to basically just like. Um, revolve around the cage right it gets stuck on the cage rather than be able to interact with the the phone so the the phone is basically uh impenetrable to like any sort of signal exactly and any signal attacks that's really what it's for i mean in in this capacity like from a fair not faraday definition perspective or engineering perspective I'm just saying, curious i've never heard like of the counter i was like in regards to a phone oh really 
Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, like for instance, like if cages. you're a if you're a sitting in a car, right? Like uh, you're inside of a Faraday cage as far as uh, a, a electrical storm is considered, right? Like if uh, if um, a, a lightning strikes the car, you'll be fine because the the physics of it is it's it's impossible for the um, the lightning to get into the car, so or the electricity. So yeah, I guess I get the concept, right? Like that that's the point. We're- yeah, you're, yes, absolutely. But in, and so in this case, we're talking RF as well. Like we're specifically talking about RF, not uh, electro, electron, right, right. electronics. Electronic, so this would be um, photons and, and, instead of electrons. There we go. Thank you, engineer. I hear you. <laughs> but um, but yes, that's what we're talking about. So you, you, you have the, these and they're, they're discreet. You know, you can go buy a Faraday case or like one of those leather bound ones and now you know that that's our have the big sign on them but you definitely want to have one that is discreet and you know another plug uh we make custom uh bags we make custom fits so you you know clients give us their suit jackets they give us their dresses or their skirts they give us their versace or their prada bags and we line it with our you know of course we have a, a mesh that we line it that you can't see that makes it uh faraday compliant no rf can get into it but at that level you need the, your phone should not ring uh, just randomly. You know, you should bring out your phone to accept phone calls in places that are safe. But you should not be at a, a gala or, the, you know, you should not be at, a, at, a, at an event at some kind of tech conference with your phone in your back pocket walking around aimlessly, especially if you're uh, processing at that level, because you will get bumped and tapped. It, you know, and if you you want a reference for that. Uh, I was the film consultant for the movie, the 355. And there's a film, there's a, a part in there where she, where uh, Lupita's character, Khadija actually does that. Well, Jason, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. I know you have a stop coming up. So where, where can people, uh, find more about your company, follow the, uh, follow the burpees. We'll have to do a, uh, burpee live stream one of these days for, uh, for whoever's interested. Um, but yeah, where, where, what's the best place for, for people to connect with you and learn more about what you do? I'm down. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Um, so our website is www.blackalchemysolutions.group, spelt traditionally. On Twitter, you can reach us at blackalchemyso2. And on Instagram, blackalchemysolutions. Now, my personal account on Instagram is no secrets J, and that's spelt J-A-Y. And then it's Jason Tate with a U on Twitter. And we only, and all of our contact information is on our website. Uh, we only accept signal calls, but if you have an emergency, do not text, uh, you know, through plain text, just send us a signal message and we, or hit us on, do not hit us in our DMs on Twitter. Uh, send us a signal message on the, the numbers that are published. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much and uh, stay safe out there, everyone. I appreciate you so much. Thank you everyone for on this phone call and everybody uh, that's listening. I appreciate your time. All right. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. This was great.